Awaken podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Good morning, Awaken. It is 86 degrees in this room. So wherever you are, I hope you have air conditioning because we don't. We're just suffering for Jesus, but don't feel bad for us. Uh, however you're finding us, whether it be on the internet or uh, by video, by audio, welcome to you. If you're new to Awaken, welcome. Um, we're glad that you're here. A couple of announcements before we get started, and then I'll hand it off to Melody and Josh. Uh, they are as follows. The first of which is um, David Christensen, a member of our community, is leading a meditation group. And that is going to start on July 23rd from 7 to 8 p.m. It's a Zoom experience. And so David is uh, well-versed and very passionate about meditation. So if you are interested in stress relief, emotional regulation, developing self-awareness, connecting with God, all of these things uh, are sort of a part of that experience and process. So um, more information on that is in the Awaken Weekly, and you can sign up for that. So that's the first thing. Second of which is actually came from Good Morning Awaken this last week, which is so fun. You should tune in Sunday mornings, 11 o'clock, Facebook Live. Uh, one Annie Berglund said, hey, we should do something with donation sites or, or a drop-off site for donations. And so we did this before with the Lament, but we're going to start doing it on a regular basis. So every other Tuesday, first and third Tuesdays, Awaken will be a donation site. And we're working out the details on who those donations will go to. And on the website, there will be a list uh, or, or a page with instructions on how to do that uh, safely, uh, what you can bring, and then where those donations will be going. So July 21st from 12 to 5 p.m., Mike and Annie will be here accepting donations. If you're interested in volunteering uh, also, you can reach out to jess at awakenwest7th.com. That would be great. And then last but not least, coffee delivery is happening again. So exciting. Thursday, July. Oh, you have to sign up by Thursday, July the 16th. And then that will be delivered uh, for that following Sunday, which I think is either the 18th or the 19th. Um, so if you're interested in that, it's on the Fireside Room. It's in the Awaken Weekly. And you can do that. Um, the last thing I want to do before I hand it off to Josh Mel is uh, apologize for something that I did last week inadvertently. Um, I quoted someone early on in my sermon, uh, a rabbi named Toba Spitzer, and then I closed my sermon um, with one of her thoughts, and I totally failed to give her recognition for that. And so I want to apologize for that. Somebody in the um, community pointed that out, had read the article, and was like, I think that may have been her thought, not yours, and, and they were absolutely right. So... Um, I want to be a trustworthy person, and that was a mistake that I made, and so um, sorry about that. The article's fantastic, by the way. You should look it up. It's on myjewishlearning.com. So um, without any further ado, we'll sing some songs, and then Jenna is going to offer the word this morning. Um, Mandy's back with us, so I hope it's going to be a great morning. So, Melody? Thanks. Just enjoy, um, encourage you to join in with us wherever you are. We will be singing some songs of worship this morning. Welcome, Josh. It's good to have you, Josh. <laughs> Let's sing this together. Sing, we will feast. We will feast in the house of Zion. We will sing with our hearts restored. He is
by the flood A pill protected Gathered up And we will feast In the house of Zion We will sing With our hearts restored He's done great things We will sing Darkness, you give hope. 
pray with me. God, thank you for that reminder this morning, this afternoon, um, whatever time it is when someone's watching this, um, wherever we are, that it is you that is our life. You sustain us. You give us energy. You provide breath for our very being. So I pray um, that wherever we are this morning, we would take a moment to just take that in, to breathe you in, to breathe in um, your presence that is with us always as close as our very breath. Um, we thank you for that reality this morning and we do worship you. We pray this in your name, amen. And now please welcome the very lovely Mandy Taylor as she gives our kids message today. Thank you, Melody. Hello, I'm Mandy Taylor, the Kids Community Director. Kids, I am so glad you're tuning in again. Excited to get to be with you again today. I have a special ask for next week's teaching. I'd like to hear some questions or life updates from you. For example, what are you loving about summer? What's bringing you joy and excitement? And what are some fun things you're doing? Or maybe what's bringing you some sadness or what's hard? That's definitely, both of those are happening this summer, especially with the circumstances. But I would love to hear from you. So tell your parents what you wanna comment. I wanna, I wanna tell everyone at Awaken how our kids are doing. So share with your parents, they can email me or you could send a video or write me a letter. And if you write me a letter, I guarantee I will write you a letter back. I would love to have letters from you guys as well. So today, we have the privilege of listening to Jenna teach. But before she starts, I want to briefly touch on a few things that she's going to discuss further. Again, like last week, parents, I want to encourage you to pause or stop the um, video and podcast and let your kids answer these questions. Talk about it as a family. Talk about it together. They may have comments and it may lead to more discussion. You can always table those as well and say, you know what, let's talk about this later or continue those conversations throughout the week. Um, I think what's being taught today could definitely last throughout the week. Um, great dinner time conversation, drives, bedtimes, whenever you feel most present with your kids, I really encourage you to continue these conversations. So kids, my first question for you is, what is your history? So where did you come from? What, did you, what do you know about your ancestors? That's a really big question. Some of you may have talked about this with your family before, and some of you may not have. So that alone is a very big conversation. And maybe you just talked about it, or maybe you're tabling that for later today. But why do you think it might be helpful to know what your culture is or what your history is. Why is it important? I think it's really important to know our own culture and our history, where we came from, so that we can appreciate the culture and history of others around us. Today's teaching is in Chronicles, as a community of people are trying to figure out who they are after years in exile. When we talk about who we are, we use a word called identity. Let's take a minute to understand that word. What do you think identity is? How many of you love this game? I know I did when I was a kid, and my kids do. 
Guess who? The whole point of this game is to figure out which person your partner has chosen. So you use questions with yes, no answers to try to figure out who their person is. For example, you might say, does your person have glasses, a mustache? Does your person have blue eyes? Does your person have black hair? And the first person to guess the other person's person, <laughs> ooh, confusing, wins. Those questions that guess who uses are all questions talking about what a person looks like. So while you don't know the full identity of these fictional faces, you know the outward identity. The part of identity, part of identity, sorry, the part of, whoa, part of identity is what you look like. There's a bit more to identity than what you look like though, right? Of course. Identity is the way in which a person views themselves and the role in the world. Think about your own identity right now. I'm gonna give you some questions and I want you to think about them in your head. You can share them if you'd like, but it's okay to be silent and just take some time to think through them. Adults, this is great for you too. Ask yourself, who am I? What makes me special? Why am I here? What experiences or surroundings have shaped who I am, my identity? I'm glad you thought about those. And you can continue to think about what your identity is throughout the week or later today. Now I have a question. Does identity change? Do you think you have the same identity that you had three years ago? Uh, probably not because some parts of it, your identity can change. You might be quiet and reserved in elementary school, and then in high school you become outgoing and have lots of friends. You might have a hard time with math in kindergarten, but in third grade you learn to love it and become really good at it. And your faith will change too. What you know now will evolve and you will continue to build on that knowledge and shift your thinking and understanding of God and your relationship with Jesus as you encounter new experiences and new environments. Your identity is continuously shaped and formed as you interact with the world. And some parts of your identity will be similar your whole life, like your culture and where you came from, your heritage. What is this? It's a mirror, right. In this mirror, we see an image. Similar to guess who, we can only see the outside. So when I look into this mirror, I see my eyes, I see my hair, I see sweat, lots of sweat, it's hot in here. I see my teeth, my lips. Hmm. But there's more to identity than what I see in this mirror. What you can't see in the mirror is what is in my, is in my heart, in my mind. What we know about our inside is that God created us in his image, like we talked about last week. And unlike any other living thing, we as humans were created like God, for good to do good. Remember that God made us to be a reflection of him, his nature and goodness, his image. Psalm 139.14 says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. As you're thinking about your identity, what comes to mind about how God made you good and to do good? How are you a reflection of God? Maybe you're a really good helper, or maybe you love meeting new people. 
When others see you, they see kindness. Maybe they see love. Maybe they see humility. Or maybe they see someone who's just really fun. These are all good things that are a reflection of who God is and who God made you to be. So let's review. Identity is a word that describes who we are. Our identity makes us who we are. Identity is good. Going back to the very beginning, I asked you to talk about your ancestors, your culture, where you came from, what did the generations before you pass on about your history. We also talked about who you are today, both inside and outside. The beauty of us all having our own identity and understanding that God made us uniquely and perfectly can help us to see other people's identity. Noticing people's identity is really good. It's okay to notice that someone looks different than you or talks different than you or has different likes or dislikes than you. Seeing others' identity helps us understand God's beauty and design for his people. We can appreciate differences because that's how God intended his people to be. But using other people's identity to put them down or make yourself bigger or better is not good. And I know you guys know that. Unfortunately, that happens a lot, especially when we don't take time to know our own identity or our own history. We have to work hard to treat others fairly with kindness and respect even Jesus taught his disciples this, and they had to work really hard at it too. Last week, we talked about the words we use to describe God and how he would want to be treated, and therefore how we should treat others. Our reflection, or how we see others, should reflect God's view of us and of him. No matter what someone looks like or what gender they are or whether they're good at something that we are or whether they're not, we can show love and be love. As we love God, we love others and appreciate their identity and who God made them to be. I'm not going to read a book right now, but I have some books that I do want to show you really quickly. This one here is for older kids called Brown Girl Dreaming. And this is a really cool book about someone's history. Actually, the author's Jacqueline Woodson's History and Culture. And it is a really great way to learn about identity. And another one that I just love is called The Day You Begin, also by Jacqueline Woodson, actually. And this one, if you stay tuned and, and listen during FaceTime Live, I'm going to read it. This is a really awesome one about identity and teaching identity to kids. And as always, books like this are great for adults, too. So I am so glad I got to be with you today. All right, thank you, Mandy. Before we move on, we are going to sing the song of blessing over our kids. Josh, will you lead this for us? May God give you eyes to see all that is good, all that is good. The courage for anything May you be strong, may you be strong. May God give you ears to hear His loving voice, His loving voice speaking all around you. 
Jenna Daniels. <laughs> Welcome, Jenna. Here I am. <laughs> well, good morning, everyone. Good evening, afternoon, whenever you're watching this. Uh, my name is Jenna, if we haven't met, and I am, for those of you who don't know, the newly appointed executive pastor here at Awaken. So, at, well, thank you. <laughs> um, as of, I think, yeah, June 1st, uh, my job changed around here, so I'm now, in, I'm still in charge of care, uh, but now I'm over staff and volunteer leadership development, um, systems, and budgets, uh, yeah, so it's actually been really fun and energizing to have a little bit of change of pace around here. Um, I have not taught since September, and I am a little rusty, I'm feeling, as evidenced by, I think this is the fourth version of this sermon, <laughs> but I am actually really um, excited to be teaching. Uh, if you are watching this uh, Sunday morning, join us at 11, Facebook Live. It will be me and Melody and Mandy. We're going to have a good old time. We're going to have story time with Miss Mandy kids, so that is going to be really fun. And it, it honestly is a time um, to ask questions about the sermon, ask questions about anything else. Remember that you actually like go to church with other people still. Um, so we've been doing it for about three weeks, and it has been really fun to kind of create that new rhythm. Um, so we'd love to see you there. Uh, this morning we are continuing in our summer series, Lost in Translation. We usually do this over the summer, um, where we look at maybe hard to interpret, often misunderstood passages in the Bible, um, of which there is no shortage, and we give it our best college attempt at, uh, I don't know, understanding what the Bible is saying. Um, this summer, I'm actually really excited about this. We chose to focus on wisdom literature or the writings. In Hebrew, it's the Ketuvim part of the Tanakh. And those are books like Psalms and Job and Proverbs. Song of Songs is on the docket. So who knows what the word of the Lord will be that day. But um, I think, it'll, I think it'll be good. So this morning, we are continuing in that vein of, of wisdom literature, and we're in the book of First Chronicles. Um, so if you do have your Bibles, First Chronicles, chapter 1, verse 1. Um, and I, I am actually going to pray um, before I read the text this morning. So would you pray with me? God, for eyes to see and ears to hear this morning. A prayer that I pray often, um, and would you make it true? God, I ask that the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you, um, that you would lift up what it is that you want people to hear. I pray for healing. I pray for a reclamation this morning of who we are and who you've made us to be. In your name we pray, amen. So, First Chronicles chapter one, verse one. If you are able, please stand for the reading of the word. Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalel, Yarad, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, 
Magog, Madai, Yavan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tiras. The sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz. <laughs> Have I lost you yet? <laughs> that we got through verse six, friends. That goes on for nine chapters. 406 verses of names. Maybe a line or two of detail in there, but for the most part, just names. Um, I grew up evangelical Christian, um, where an important part of spiritual practice was Bible reading, and then I went on to get theologically trained as a pastor, and so I have been set up to read through the entire Bible multiple times in my life. And if I am being honest, I have never once read through any of the genealogies. In fact, sometimes it's a little exciting because that means I can just skip over it and, and get done faster. <laughs> if I'm being very honest with you, what a great pastor I am. Um, and yet, I would like to suggest that in my doing that, I missed a depth and a richness in the text um, that I want to unpack this morning. If we are to actually be responsible readers of the scriptures, we have to ask ourselves, why would the author spend 406 verses listing names? And is it even fair to understand it as just a list of names? So what I want to do uh, today is to pull on some threads and go in maybe some seemingly surprising directions this morning, um, but it's deeply connected. So to do that, I wanted to give a little bit of background on the book of Chronicles. Um, in our English Bibles, the, book, uh, the books of First and Second Chronicles fall kind of smack dab in the middle. So connected to, it's in the section called the historical books, uh, so it's 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, and then 1st and 2nd Chronicles. And all of these books are kind of narrating Israel's history. Uh, in the Hebrew Bible, you may or may not know, it's actually a different order um, than English Bibles. And part of that has to do with different cultural values around how we order things. Um, but the Hebrew Bible places it actually as the last book of the Tanakh. And so it starts with Genesis, and then it ends with Chronicles, or the retelling of Israel's history. The book of Chronicles actually spends a lot of time focusing on the monarchy, in particular David and Solomon, with a major focus on the messianic promise of David, so this Messiah figure that would come from the line of David and would redeem the people. Uh, and along with that, there's a focus on the priesthood. So these two major structures that are essential for, I guess, the holding of Israel's hope as a people. Chronicles is a relatively bright retelling of Israel's history, still honest, including the story of exile, but it's kind of highlighting the glory days, if you will. And there is a reason for this. And part of it is because of the vantage point of Chronicles, which is post-exile. So exile is a dominant narrative all throughout the scriptures. 
God's people, historically, have been marked by the experience of displacement and occupation. Micah had brought this up a couple weeks ago when we were, I think it was Psalm 137, just talking about exile, and there were two main exiles in Israel's history. First, the Assyrians in 734 BCE, and then later on in 586 BCE, the Babylonians. And what happened is that the Persians conquered the Babylonians, and the emperor of Persia issued a decree, Cyrus, that the Israelites, though still occupied, could return to their land, uh, which was huge. And so the book of Second Chronicles actually ends with this decree. Oftentimes this book is read in conjunction with Ezra and Nehemiah, and those books are really telling the story of the rebuilding of the temple, the rebuilding of Jerusalem post-exile. Um, so the book of Chronicles is retelling that history amidst a people who are rebuilding. This is why the book of Chronicles matters so much because it is centering a different part of a really painful history. Renita Weems in the Africana Bible says this, the chronicler uh, is writing to explain how a people who found themselves as part of a catastrophic event managed to survive whole, find freedom, and rebuild their lives. They were not content to let their oppressors have the last word or define their history. This is absolutely essential because here is the reality. The people are still occupied. This time it's Persia, and yet they're allowed to be in the land. One uh, commentator said it this way, and I, they just said it better than I could. Um, what was once a monarchy is now a small province on the edge of Persia. The line of David exists, but has no throne to sit on. The temple has been rebuilt, but is far inferior to the one it replaced. This is where we are contextually. The story we tell about who we are in moments like that is everything. From that same commentator, the themes he, so the chronicler or the author, the themes he treated were meant to make the past become meaningful to the present. Indeed, like a feast, Chronicles was meant specifically to nourish an ailing band of survivors. And do you want to know what helps the people do that? Names. History. In all of my study around like what is the role of this genealogy, why does it take up so much space in this retelling of Israel's history, there were a couple uh, what I think are maybe interesting perspectives that in some ways I think miss the depth and meaning. Um, so uh, a couple things. One person uh, said for a people, like that genealogy is for a people to understand upon their return that religious purity is very important. And in, in that 
that's valid. Like that idea of religious purity for Israelites is like, that was the problem in the first place. We have to remain pure so we don't get exiled again. Uh, another said it's for encouragement. Great, very valid. Um, another said that this is strictly history. It's historical. And yet, I feel like, though all of that is true, it didn't quite sit right. There has to be more than just history being repeated. And in fact, what that has to do with, and, and why it didn't quite sit right, is because it's not acknowledging the fact that the reason that Chronicles is written is because they are trying to tell a different kind of story in rebuilding after displacement. This becomes really clear when we pay attention to the particular names in the lineages. So it's organized in a couple ways, bear with me. The first, Adam to Israel, uh, then it's the lineage of the tribe of Judah, the house of David, the tribe of Judah again, sort of uh, leaning on that, that priestly lineage part of Israel, and then the other tribes of Israel. But what is so fascinating, and I don't know if you picked this up in verse one, when we start with Adam, that list of names forgot two very important players in the biblical narrative, Cain and Abel. The story of Cain and Abel is central to the entire canon of scripture. Am I my brother's keeper? And in the line of Adam, they weren't included. And what's very interesting is that the book of Chronicles, like the Hebrew meaning of that word, we say Chronicles, but that literal meaning of it is things omitted, things left out. And so here is the beautiful thing about the retelling of this story through names. This is from the Southeast Asia Bible Commentary. There have been very few times when I have directly quoted from a commentary, but the writing was just so gorgeous. I couldn't help it. Um, we don't know the author, but uh, it's from that commentary. What they say, as the chronicler sets out to recount his reader's great heritage, he inserted reminders of past greatness. Thus, the tribe of Simeon, which lost its identity and merged into Judah even before exile, is reminded that though some clans did not become as numerous as the people of Judah, some clans increased greatly. They explored beyond their borders and established territory for themselves in rich, good pasture land and have lived there to this day. Simeonites are assured that their spacious, peaceful and quiet homeland was gained by visionary ancestors in whom they can take pride. Similarly, members of minor tribes like Issachar and Benjamin are reminded that in their heyday, they were renowned as warriors. The chronicler urges his audience to consider the twists and turns of the river of human history that flows out of Eden. By assisting them to review the past, he hopes to move them meaningfully into the present. These genealogies for an erased group of people 
serves as the means to reach back to a more true, beautiful, thriving understanding of who they actually are. And I want to be really clear. This group of people who have lived through the trauma of generational forced displacement, violence, erasure of identity, assimilation, these are the ones who are remembering a different kind of story as they are rebuilding. The broken parts are not forgotten. The chronicler names those parts because it's part of the story. But when the broken, awful, ugly part of the story is the only thing we talk about, when it's the only part that we remember, the truth is, is that the people will never be able to be anything but that, right? Their collective and individual memory about who they are together is absolutely critical to who they will become. That is what God is inviting the people to. When God invites us to the restoration of ourselves and our people, part of that work is our own reclaiming of it. That, my friends, is the power of 406 verses of names, reaching back generations, telling a different kind of story to move forward, to be healed. And so what does that mean? for us, for you. So this morning, I want to talk a little bit about memory, about healing and reclaiming. Uh, maybe some of you are thinking of this in maybe a more personal space, ways you need to remember different, maybe wounded parts of your life, and yes and amen to all of that. Like if, if the spirit is stirring those things, go with it. And I want to go in a particular direction uh, this morning with it and maybe examine a different um, part of our personal identities. We have been talking uh, a lot about race and racism and justice in our world uh, here at Awaken, as we should and as we will continue. Um, and I want to stay in that vein this morning, but I want to enter that conversation just a little bit different, maybe connected more to formation parts. Um, when we read the text, we cannot divorce the words and stories from its context. Meaning to a displaced and traumatized people, remembering the bright spots, shifting the story that is told is a crucial part of healing for those with that experience. And so this morning, I am going to invite us into this work of memory and healing and reclaiming through our racial identities. Because I am a person of European descent, um, I will be using my own context as an example. And yet, the invitation this morning is for everyone. And so to get there, I want to start with some questions. When you think about your life, your family, your history, what do you remember? What do you know? How many generations 
can you name? What do you know about them? Their names? Stories? What kind of people they were? Where they came from? If we situate ourselves in an American context, how long have you or your people been here? If you're not first generation, do you know the circumstances that brought your people uh, to America? Did they choose to be here? Where did they land? Whose land was it? Meaning what indigenous nation did they occupy? And what happened after that? Some of you might have really clear answers to those questions. Um, some of you might be able to recount back many generations. Some of you might have stories from your family before they came to America, to which I would say, that's amazing. Keep passing that on. Uh, and you are an exception. <laughs> the truth is, most of us don't know past two, three, maybe four generations. Again, our histories before we actually came to America. I would like to suggest that one of the reasons that that is true is because it is a function of whiteness. Uh, whiteness is maybe something that you have been hearing a lot about. Um, and what's true is many of us might be entering some of these conversations for the first time around race. We use a lot of language and maybe aren't uh, on the same page about what it actually means. And so for me, I would say in the last couple of weeks, one of the things that I have been reflecting on the most is what is whiteness? How does it function? And so I want to talk about that a little bit this morning together. Um, acknowledging that I am, uh, there's so much more to it, and I am just highlighting a very teeny tiny portion of it, but I, th I think it's important, um, and I want to put some definition and history around it um, to encourage us in further conversations. So whiteness is a construct uh, with very real effects. The phrase white didn't show up until the 1700s in British colonies in America, the term white was defined as anyone without a drop of African or native blood. So those coming from Europe, uh, people of European descent. But what is also true is that for Europeans first coming to America, just because you were European did not mean that you were automatically defined as white. So for many people, Irish, Italians, Jewish people, there was actually a process of assimilation that happened. The primary function of the concept and construct of voidness was political. A means to create distinction, difference, and hierarchy between poor Europeans often working as indentured servants, African slaves, and the perceived threat of indigenous people. It was created so the European ruling class could maintain power 
and influence and prevent uprisings as they were gravely outnumbered. What was trying to be prevented was why so many actually left Europe in the first place, right? A preservation of power through the disassociation, like, but at least you're white, right? For those Italians, Irish, Jewish, those who were not initially considered white, uh, it was eventually granted to them through a process of assimilation, which meant when that actually happened in their stories, it meant resources, privilege, land, opportunity, wealth, all of those things promised in that American dream. It does not mean that there wasn't struggle. It does not mean that there wasn't hardship. It does not mean that there wasn't even trauma that Europeans experienced. But what it did mean is that you get access now. It gave you power. It made you entitled to certain things. It made you think that if you worked hard, it would be given to you as a result of your goodness and your work ethic. It also created a blindness to where that land came from, to where that wealth came from, to how it was actually acquired. So this construct of whiteness really was created to preserve power. It was, and quite frankly, continues to be a building block in this society. And whiteness has just shapeshifted throughout centuries uh, and it exists in our workplaces and our schools and our government and our churches. And so many of us with white skin continue to be blind. I will say even for myself, I've been, you know, doing my best at like doing my work for years. And I still have blind spots to the way that whiteness shows up. In a conversation I recently had, uh, with my grandma, sorry, I am real sweaty here. Sorry, everyone. Did you know that your face masks also function as a sweat cloth? Dual purpose. Um, anyways, in a conversation I recently had with my grandma, I learned some things about my people. Um, my great-great-grandfather was known as Tamarack Mac, uh, all we really know is that he came from Canada. Um, we think that maybe he was of Irish or Scottish heritage, um, but he came in 1815 to Minnesota from Canada with his wife, Flavia. Uh, and they, they settled in what we now call Marshall County. The Ojibwe lived there. And there is a rock in Marshall County, I don't remember what city it was in, um, but it has my great-great-grandfather's name on it, Tamarack Mac, in this city in Marshall County. And do you want to know why? Because my great-great-grandfather was the first white settler in that part of Ojibwe land. On my grandmother's side, I learned that the reason her mother moved from Kansas to South Dakota, so my great-grandma, was because of a treaty that was signed 
so that the land became available for the taking. And they went on to become ranchers uh, and have land and cattle, um, hardworking people. Uh, people who, you know, left their countries of origin for opportunity. Um, the truth is, is that I don't know the particulars of how that played out. I know that Europeans coming to this land have a really broken history um, with the native people whose land this belongs to. I don't know if I came from people who saw what was happening on a larger scale or if they blindly took what their skin gave them. But what is true is that I am the one that has to rumble with that story and that history that is in my lineage uh, without knowing the details, right? Like, but that's still a part of the work in remembering and healing and reclaiming is that I, as a person of European descent, have to maybe remember some of the harder parts of the story rather than the really bright spots, right? James Baldwin, uh, or, and, and I should also say in all of that, um, the wealth that my family accumulated happened at the expense of another. And there was a cost. James Baldwin, author and activist, um, talks about that cost as a ticket. Uh, in his essay, it's from Essence Magazine, published in 1984, it's entitled On Being White and Other Lies, he says, it bears terrifying witness to what happened to everyone who got here and paid the price of the ticket. The price was to become white. He goes on to say some really hard truths about that price and the violent effect that it had on others, which is ultimately the center of this conversation. And what is also true is that everyone got harmed in this process. Part of whiteness and how it functions is that it erases even those it was supposed to benefit. My grandma also told me stories about my ancestors from Sweden who came here to better themselves, to, to get opportunity, and they did. It just meant that they had to lose their language, their customs, their food, their culture, their stories, their memories, in order to belong. And I want to be clear that the erasure of my own heritage, the familial stories and customs, came at a cost, a cost in some ways to the people that I came from, but they chose to be here. They chose to leave their country of origin. They came here with hope. In no way does the erasure of my lineage compare to the horrible violence the forced displacement and trauma of black and brown bodies that have had to live with this for centuries bearing the cost of whiteness. I want to be really clear about that distinction and what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. And I also want to name 
that whiteness hurts everyone. For white people, our inability to name the diversity of our own European heritage lets us feed into the lie that we do not have a culture. That our customs, how we live our lives, what we eat, our concept of time, that that is just normal and that it's best. Our blindness to the ways that that kind of ideology, the ideology of whiteness, still affects us will continue to perpetuate this harm. And I also know that part of learning about whiteness and learning about what it means to be white in America and doing that work requires some remembering, some healing, and some reclaiming. And I know that only because I'm in a cohort through the UCC, Sacred Conversations to End Racism, and I am learning from a magnificent human being, Reverend Dr. Velda Love. And this was the work day one. Where do you come from? Who are your people? What are their names? What were the circumstances of us ending up in this land, in this building, right? That is a part of the work. And this work of remembering, healing, and reclaiming is for everybody. It's just that for people of European descent, we might have to work a little bit harder at holding the pieces that hurt and being honest about those pieces. Our memory has to break open a little bit more. And I will tell you, this is patient and prayerful work. It might be frustrating. It's actually, I've found it to be very difficult to find information. And, and truth be told, for those of you where family might be hard, where you might not have that option to ask family, I, I just want to acknowledge that. Um, you might not have that luxury, and, and there are other ways to do it. I started with Ancestry.com. This is not sponsored. Um, and I am convinced that as people of God, this work of healing and remembering and reclaiming deeply matters in order for us to be able to move forward, becoming the people who God intends us to be. All throughout the scriptures and blatantly in our text this morning, God invites people to reach back in order to move forward. And I'm a firm believer that what God is inviting the world to right now is remembering and healing and reclaiming. And what if part of that includes our work of reaching back to learn the stories of wh who we are, where we come from, our lineage. Both the proud, resilient moments in our heritage and the shameful and harmful parts. I believe this is part of the sacred work of ending racism, and it is just one part of it, right? It's just a starting point. It's just an entry point to the conversation. We need to keep engaging politically. We need to keep uh, naming racism when we see it in ourselves and when we see it in those around us. And, and uh, we need to be examining systems and structures, all of the things, all of that, 
And this kind of transformation work is a part of it too. It's all transformation work. Part of dismantling whiteness is recognizing it for the lie it always has been and continues to be. And I just believe that God wants to reclaim it. God wants to reclaim it. It is for our healing and transformation. And I believe that it needs to happen not only individually, but communally as well. The same work we do individually is meant for us corporately, especially as the people of God. That was the other half of my sermon that got cut. I just felt like it would be too much. So, that's the work. Can we reach back to move forward? Can we remember to heal, to reclaim? So we are going um, to enter into a moment of silence before communion, and I want that space um, to be a time for the Spirit to say what the Spirit wants to say. Um, and maybe for those of you uh, who prefer to be led in that, uh, a question of reflection. Um, what needs to be remembered, healed, and reclaimed? Let's pray. God, thank you that you are the God that reaches back with us and that you move us forward together. And I pray that you would be at work in that, with us, healing and restoring and redeeming. No matter how we come to that work, I ask and pray that, that you would meet us individually and uniquely in that, and that you would draw us out corporately. So God, I, I give this time to you and ask you to speak. As we enter into a time of communion, in essence, this is a reaching back to move forward when we, when we partake in this practice, remembering the liberating work of God, the healing work of God, the reclaiming work of God. So as we come to the table this morning, would you hear these words? On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Whenever you eat of it, do it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup and he blessed it and said, this is my blood shed for you. Whenever you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love God and those who want to love God more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here often and you who have not been for a long time or ever before, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed. These are the gifts of God 
for the people of God. Come, not because the church invites you, but because Christ invites you to be known and to be fed here. As you take the body of Christ, the bread, receive these words, the body of Christ broken for you. As you take the cup, receive these words, the blood of Christ shed for you.
receive these words as you go. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up countenance to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community or on Twitter at Awaken Community. See you next time.